Welcome to the Happiness Podcast, brought to you by me, Mark Price, and my platform, Engaging Works, designed to help you be happier at work. Having been the boss of Waitrose for many years and working within the John Lewis Partnership, I became interested in the way that we work. How being happy at work can not only transform an individual's life, but how it can also transform an organisation. So my mission is to get the world a little bit happier at work. In doing so, I've created a happiness survey which measures and then compares to others how happy you are at work. It's free to take and you can find out about it at engaging.works. In the Happiness Podcast, I'll be speaking with people from all walks of life about how they work and their happiness at work. From people who have had career changes to entrepreneurs who have forged their own career paths. It's all about happiness and how we recognise this happiness at work and all get a little bit happier. Hello, I'm here with um, uh, the world famous Tom Parker Bowles, <laughs> food writer, food critic, food everything. Uh, Tom, it's great to have you with us. How would you describe uh, your working life, what you do and what you have done? My working life is is a particularly, uh, I'd say, blessed without sounding too, uh, too saccharine. Um, I do the thing I love. I love eating, I love food, I love writing, um, and by some miracle I've managed to combine a career of, of, of doing all of that. I get to eat, I get to meet producers, I get to go to restaurants, I get to talk about food, I get involved in every aspect of food, and it, you know, food makes me very, very happy. So everybody will want to know, what's your favourite restaurant or restaurants, Ooh. and who's your favourite chef? Well, you see, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing, it slightly depends on, on the day, or the hour, or the minute of the day, you know, because sometimes I think, oh, my, I'm craving dim sum, and I want to go to Din Tai Fun, or I want to go to Shikumen, I want to go to Royal China Club. Other times I'll be craving French food or Italian food. I couldn't choose my one favourite restaurant at all, but there are certain places I go to more than others. For example, I go to the Wolsey, which is, for me, the whole experience. It's, it's not, you don't go specifically for the food. Do you go for breakfast? Breakfast at the Wolsey is fantastic. Um, I, my children love it. Um, actually, my mum and dad won't go anymore because it's too noisy, but, but that's because they're older now. Um, I love 45 German Street, although I do work for Fortnum's. Um, I love, there's a tiny place nearby called, uh, f- uh, near me in, in, in West London called 101 Thai Kitchen. It's nothing more than a canteen with bright pink walls. It does the best Thai food, stinky, uh, hot, you know, sour where it needs to be. None of that sort of awful rubbed off edges. Gosh, I could go. You know, like a ten. So if you had, so if, if, if I was to give you, that. sorry, River Cafe, <laughs> yeah, wonderful choice. Yeah. So if I was to say to you, um, last meal before you die, <sighs> this is, you know, I am going to push you now because I need to book a table. So <laughs> I hope I never have to do that. No, no, no. So last meal before you die, where would you go, God and me. what would you eat? Well, if if it was a restaurant rather than what food, I would probably, gosh. I'd probably move between restaurants if that were possible. So I'd, I'd, I'd probably start at St John with bone marrow, that wonderful bone marrow and parsley salad of, of Fergus's. Move across to either Locatelli or something, one of Angela Hartman's ones, uh, Murano to have, and we're moving across the seasons here, uh, white truffle tagliatelle. Um, if I could jump somewhere in the middle and have a huge tin of caviar, it is sounding very excessive, this, <laughs> very luxurious. What is your last it name? Is last, um, it would be that... Perhaps then uh, there's a prawn and satel bean, satel bean sort of stir-fry 
they have at 101 Tai Kitchen. Um, I'd be definitely moving across on this last meal across, across London. Um, maybe if I had a private jet, I'd nip over to uh, Da Adolfo, just, just off Positano, and have that mozzarella with the, um, on the lemon, leaf, lime, lemon leaf and then the zuppa di cozze. Uh, and if I really had a fast private jet, I'd probably maybe move over to sort of Lima to, to, to uh, Che Wong for the ceviche there then to that little hole in the wall in Historica, Mexico City, the Tacos Al Pastor, uh, and maybe off to Fyador in Sydney. Uh, to, this is ridiculous, you know, this is the problem. Oh, but, but you've still not got to pudding. Pudding, and then pudding, it would have to be, uh, gosh, it's like sticky toffee pudding or something like that, you mm. know, something really, which, although it sounds very British, is not actually, it's actually Canadian sticky toffee pudding, I found out, we all thought it came from Charo Bay, but it, he, he got it from, Francis Coulson got it from... Uh, Canada. Anyway, that's a whole different story. But as you can see, yes. Um, and then cheese. And, and oh. you know, not just, you know, I, I, I have a mixture of, of, of English and French and um, a bit of Italian as well. You yeah. know, a wonderful cheese, just I discovered. Yes. Uh, the ward side, uh, Michel Roux. Yes. Um, he does a Parmesan cheese dribbled in honey. Oh, it's amazing. I, I mean, I love the water side. It's really amazing. Jumping into the water side. The water side, that's like a different world, the water side, <laughs> isn't it? it? It is a totally different... And his chocolate mousse. Oh, and I love the gougères they have as well there. And the whole... Sometimes I crave that, that five-star service, and sometimes I crave just sitting by myself and eating a really fierce curry or... To drink? Stir-fry. Ooh. Um, it would definitely probably involve claret of some kind. Um... Possibly in eighty two or two thousand, maybe a Barton. I, I do think Barton's Louis particularly Barton. good. It does make me sound like a complete sort of spoiled pasha. No, uh, but what it, what it most wonderfully does for those people listening is to just set out what a foodie you are, how extensive your knowledge is. So what people want to know is what made you decide to go into the food world and food writing because you started. I think, first of all, as a in PR. Yeah, I, I mean, I started. I was sat from pretty much every job I did. Um, I was really rubbish at getting to jobs on time. Particularly bad at the, the corporate world. I think now that's that can either come across as very spoiled, um, or some people just aren't meant to work within a framework like that. And I had, I worked for. I love films. And I love food. So I left university uh, and went for my dad. Said, right, you know, get off your ass. You're going to work now. Quite rightly. Um, and so I went to a film company. And they had Empire and Total Film and Premiere in the, you know, the, the entrance hall bit. Oh, it's amazing. You know, this is films. And so I started off, and they looked at my CV and said, this means nothing. So I was off making... You know, and what, did, what was your degree in? Uh, English, which is absolutely useless okay. for anything apart from reading lots of books. But, um, yeah, and, and went, and it was, they were fantastic. It's called DDS in Soho. This is Soho in the 90s. Well, actually, it wasn't very good to eat in Soho in the 90s. Um, it was all going... Up east, you know, St John and Mora and stuff. But um, yeah, was there for you. Incredibly nice, and I still keep in touch. I was particularly useless. I was probably the worst PA assistant they were called in those days. I was the worst assistant of all time. My poor boss, who's still a friend, she would ask me to book restaurants, and I'd book the wrong restaurant, and I'd really pick up a dry cleaner, I'd crash a car, and and and. Uh, but I could string a sentence there, so I'd moved on to writing the press releases, which which uh, and we'd have to handhold talent, you know, come over. So it was a 
21-year-old straight male in, in, in London, it was, you know, some of these sort of movie stars would come over and they wouldn't have anything to do, so they say, you know, we take me out. So that was... And it was the 90s. It was, it was fun. But and anyway. who do you remember taking out that oh, sort of lasts in the memory? Oh, God. And there was some... Well, I mean, some legally I couldn't say. Together, but the nice ones were everyone... I mean, what you found is the more famous uh, the film star, the nicer they were to everyone. It was the people on the way up who tended to be rude to likes of me. Um, but nice people. I don't know, everyone from Lisa Silverstone to John Waters, who's one of my favourite directors, to Jackie Chan, to... Gosh, Michael Keaton to... I mean, all sorts. And you'd end up... And you, what you realise is that this sort of cult of celebrity is, is even bigger now, but pe- people were human. I mean, unless you get to the Clint Eastwood, Jack Nicholson level, which were totally different level, but they dealt with their fame pretty well. You know, they... Mm. It's not like... It wasn't like now where fame is um, transient and, uh, you know, you, you become famous for being famous. And, you know, some of them... And there was some just... I mean, we used to go to Cannes. And I always got into this for endless trouble and stuff. And, and in the end, I was sacked for... The, you know, for missing the fifteenth meeting. Um, at that point, I was relatively senior, and I kept sleeping through them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was just rubbish, and I did enjoy. I, I, you know, the, there was something about office life that you know, getting somewhere on time, and and the, I never got. I didn't like this idea of a lunch break. You know, lunch for me is the best meal of the day. And I did. You got an hour, and people were eating sandwiches at their desk. It was, you know, I ate a lot of pret a manger. It was quite depressing, and you know, and I, I just and I have friends who worked asses off you know, in the city and actually still and now thankfully are sort of you know uh, harvesting the, the fruits of their labour but these guys were getting up at five every day to get on a packed tube in a suit to go and do whatever you do in the city I still don't know what happens in the city um, I just about to get hedge funding but um, that's punting really isn't it but but I, I just but you know they were happy so, to, so why know. are you looking for money in the city because uh, you do have a snack business. Well, I, I do have a snack business, where I got into, which I share with Matthew Four and a few of us. It's a tough time, as you'd well know, for, for these things. And I think we, what we did is we found a product. We thought we're going to do British, which we did for five years. Um, but the problem was there was a huge issue. The product is pork crackling. Pork crackling. And we said, let's, why, you know, you do posh crisps and you can do British crisps. Why can't we do British pork crackling? Now, that was all fine for five years when we started, but we found it very difficult to get a constant supply of the right kind of the, of the, of the, the skin to, to do. And last year, um, when we realised we had to get move into foreign stuff, Matthew and I stepped down from the board very clearly. You know, we cannot be associated with this. Obviously, we still have shares in it. Um, and then earlier this year, you know, someone quite rightly, that, that whole new scheme, I think it was a, might have been Mark Suspense or, or might have been Tesco, or actually it was Co-op, I think, going into it, and they found out that we were using foreign pigs, and of course, quite rightly, they said, hang about. Um, which is slightly annoying, because Matthew Knight had, on the matter of principle, stepped down, it was there on the record, saying we cannot be associated. I think we were a bit slow in changing our branding, and we were quite rightly slapped on the wrist. And you know, we've and so Matthew and I have pretty much stepped away entirely mm-hmm. from the whole thing. But that I can't sit in a we have board meetings, and I'm sure you know. And I don't think there's anything in life, any meeting that can't be done in under two hours. You know, people love sitting all day in meetings and and, and talking. And uh, thank you. And we're so pausing much. just for a second because <laughs> uh, a kipper, <laughs> a kipper is arriving for Tom. Thank you. So I love. Served by the rather wonderful Anna at the Goring Hotel. Thank you. And uh, it's a plain kipper with lemon. I love kippers. Uh, I Do we know where the kipper comes from, Anna? I can definitely find the town. <laughs> it's the sea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Anna. British Sea. British Sea, somewhere. Can I refresh your uh, bottle's recipe? Yeah.
So, so now we're talking and eating, and that mm. uh, we were talking about. Uh, you were saying board meetings uh, yep. at your oh, uh, pork scratchings business. I, I, I think I have you know the concentration of a blue bottle. I'm not really sitting still for very long, and it's like you know you have your that piece of paper that tells you what you're supposed to do, and we can keep on the subject and keep on it. We can do this over a telephone. Why we need to sit together in this day and age and do it? And I love my partners. You know they're fantastic, but. I'm just not made for corporate life. My my best friend and cousin Ben is. Um, we started a company years ago called Quintessentially. Um, it's still going by some miracle actually. Um, but again, the moment the investors came and the moment it became, we had to be in at a certain time, and that was me out. Um, mm. I'd like to say that you know I'm not a corporate person, but I think it basically is, is as I said, quite spoiled. <laughs> and you know, you, once you get a taste of this freelance life, I couldn't go back and. Uh, in, in, into the corporate world, I wouldn't. I, you know, they wouldn't want me back in the corporate world. But I, I just the nine to five thing. I just I can't do it. Um, I don't mind working on Sundays and working late at night, and you know that that yeah. weird peripatetic. Uh, yeah. Tell me how you then move from that corporate world when you'd left university mm. to doing what you now do, which is this plural career of writing and presenting about food and um, it was weird owning food brands and doing all sorts <laughs> of things. Fast food brands. Yeah. I mean, it, it was that thing that I started quintessentially with my cousin and a couple of others, which is a sort of concierge company. Um, yep. And that was about 2000. And then I was sort of, it, it got too corporate. So I you know, was beginning to leave, thinking of leaving, but you know, obviously need money and a job. And I was at a drinks party, it must have been 1999, and saw the new editor of Tatler, Geordie Gregg. Um, and he'd just taken over, he'd been at the Times before, I think. So I got a bit pissed, and, and uh, merry, not pissed. And sort of, Totted up to him and said, You haven't got a food column, you like a food column. Now, Jordy being Jordy, sharp as, you know, Tatler, I suppose, with my name, you know, I will say this, but I wouldn't have gone to the socialist worker to ask for this similar sort of job. Um, and so I said, Can I do a food column? So he said, Fine, you know, and you know, Jordy's an old, old friend now, but he, at the time, said, Yeah, try it. So I wrote about prep school food, which is a very easy thing to write about because it was absolutely disgusting. Um, and he said, "Okay, fine." This, you know, so from then I did a sort of monthly column, which you know it was it was enjoyable because once you're into that, as you know, as a journalist, you're doing Condé Nast, which means that you know you might not be in the New Yorker, but Tatler was fine. Matron Gill started there, Giles started there, Camilla Long, lots of people. And then from that point, you can start to get other work. Um, and so what became what was a sort of part time thing? Suddenly, uh, the Mail on Sunday. I went to that about fifteen years ago writing about food and then you know stuff you know it, it you show your copy and people say would you do this and it, suddenly before i knew it i was um a professional food writer <laughs> uh, and at, and yeah school were you great to, i mean obviously you said you're doing english as a degree yeah it was i could always i was rubbish at most things but i could string a sentence together and i could i could i could write i could always um i was rubbish at maths and science but as at school when you started to specialize from gcse's into a levels um, and then you're streamed. Um, at my school, you were streamed, and so you didn't really have a choice. You just pulled out into the Oxford Cambridge uh, stream, and then you were like, it was like some sort of elite forces. You were sort of highly trained um, to do Ox Oxford entrance, um, and uh, you didn't really think. It wasn't really a question. You were just taken, and you did it. And so I could do English. I love reading, and I always was okay. I won a couple of prizes at you know writing, so that that always came easily. 
Did you enjoy your school days? Uh, very much. My prep school days, I, I, I was never there was nothing dodgy in my prep school days. It was a very privileged prep school outside Oxford. But the food was so disgusting. I wasn't a regular sport. I wasn't particularly academic. So I was just one of those sort of very, very middling, you know, most of my schools I went through like a ghost. You know, you wouldn't know I was there. Um, but that, I could, the only thing I can thank summer fields in Oxford for is, is to, to, to instill in me a hatred of bad food. And that's really where... My first piece I wrote for Tatler was about that. And still, I was doing something for Country Life yesterday about offal and how we're put off offal by liver school dinners liver, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I very much enjoyed my next school eating. That was, that was a nice school. You know, I know it's got a bad reputation, but, you know, as a child, you don't have a choice. You're sent to one school, you go to the next school, you go to the next. And I thought it was a fantastic school you know it, it, it looked after the individual and if you wanted to go and do pottery it had an amazing you know all that and, and <clears throat> yeah and how was the food much better my housemaster was a very serious eater um so like on sundays the roast would be an entire roast rather than those sort of backpack pre-sliced bits of rubbish um i didn't cook much there actually but it was it was classic sort of schoolboy food pot noodles and stuff but no it was great and we had a, we had a fantastic tuck shop and yeah and so when was it do you think that you first started to think oh Writing, food, critic, restaurants. When did that Genuinely, happen? when I started with Tatley, you know, I thought the, the idea of making a living um, out of writing about food was something... I remember a fantastic magazine came out when I was at university called Eat Soup. And it was like the loaded of food. It was way before its time. And actually, lots of friends I have now work for it. And it was it had Michael Caine on the first one. And it was this whole sort of... Lads mag, but it but it was dedicated to food, so it would be doing all the Len Dighton, you know, his his cookbooks with the with the cartoons and the illustrations, and this was just like oh my god, and they would do things like cigarette tests, you know, or, or driving with one hand and one beer down in an Aston Martin from London to a restaurant in South of France, or um, and it was glamorous and rather wonderful, and it, it it sadly you know it was so ahead of its time, only did six issues, but. I thought, God, am I doing that as a life? You get paid to eat and drink. Um, and that's pretty much what I've ended up doing. I mean, yeah. And what, I'm, I'm going to ask you a very long-winded question now so you can have another okay. bite of your <laughs> kipper, um, which uh, I don't want to go cold. So, no, no. Um, Tom, you've now written seven, I think it is, food books. Gosh, yeah. So what's the difference between sitting down and producing a book as opposed to writing a column for one of our newspapers or a magazine? Well, a column is, especially for the mail, every week is 850 words. You know you write to length. You know, that's the first thing that, you know, so I know, in my head, I've done it for so long now, that you know, you know, it's a very different skill for me of, um, what should I about? <coughs> 850 words or um, That's a column. It's a very set thing. But do you ever have a block? Do you ever get to a week and think, I don't know what I'm going to write about this Sunday? It's With a review, um, with a restaurant review, you've got to have a hook. That's why I find that... Um, sorry, I've got this fantastic bone. Just to do a pub. I think Jay Rennie was talking about it the other day in his column was saying, you know, you've got to have a story. Um, toast? No, no, I'm fine, thank you. You've got to have a story. Um... You can't just say, I went to the pub and it was very nice fish and chips. You've got to have a hook. Somehow there's got to be a, a narrative in there. And, you know, of course, Adrian Gill was the greatest of this. But, you know, I do sit among Giles or, 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 or Marina, Grace, Jay, Faye. You know, these are really good writers, all of them. And I think that, you know, the critics are particularly good in this country. But 
you can't just say, and I went there, and I had that, and it was very nice. There's got to be a hook. There's got to be a story somehow. Can you ask a favour? Can we get another cup for Tom? Because I poured some hot on his cold. Oh, it was my first two books. My second and third books were more food, narrative, food and travel. And that was, as usual, leaving, leaving everything to the last moment, panicking. And like, just like I haven't really changed from being a schoolboy or university student. I've really basically essay crisis for 30 years. Um, is <laughs> It hasn't changed from, you know, copied out. Oh, I always prevaricate. I always uh, find excuses to make coffee or to go out to the shops or to look at mail online or, or Twitter. Or so do you need the deadline? I, is it I cannot the... work without a deadline. Yeah. Like if People say, would you do a piece? Great. You know, first, how many words and, and when do you need it for? Because if they say, oh, hand it in whenever, that will never, ever, ever yeah. happen. I will never do it. I, I, I have to have a deadline. So you're up at four in the morning or getting something finished? Yes. Um, and I'm quite, it's awful to say this, but you, you know the difference between um, daily and, and weekly newspapers, which are very hard, their deadlines. You don't muck around with those deadlines at all. If I'm doing something for, you know, I'm a food editor of Esquire, if I'm doing something for Esquire or Country Life, I know when. I know that the editors will give me a deadline far before they need it. So it's always that, you know, Alex, my editor at Squire. Um, you don't mind if I file in a couple of days? Yes. You know, he obviously builds in this this thing. Um, and Country Life, which I just love writing for. I love Country Life. You know, Wednesday, you, disappear, you know, have a bath and disappear in another world of Country Life. Um, they, you know, because it's a weekly glossy, they are miles in advance they have to do. Um but again, it's one of those. It's funny how you do a squire, which my, my parents wouldn't really a squire. But country life, I get a call always on Thursday. Oh, no, no, darling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, night draw piece in country life. Couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something. I mean, in the nicest way possible. I think, and it's usually about gardening or farming or something. Like, you know, and of course, it's, it's, it's him disagreeing rather than it being wrong. But um, yeah, it, it's funny how different things. You know, if you suddenly go on Radio Four, <laughs> everyone hears. But. Um, Okay, while well, you have another bite of your kipper, <laughs> I will ask another long-windy question. <laughs> it's fun, because kippers are actually very nice. I love them. Yeah. I had some after I smoked these other days. I love them as well, actually. But um, it is... Um, they are really good here for um, breakfast. They, I, I love... They, they still do... Uh, um, so how was the kipper? Delicious. Sorry, I'm going to keep picking it, but it was absolutely good. Well, so um, what advice would you give anybody wanting to go into journalism particularly food journalism? Well, it's changed a lot since... Journalism's changed a lot since I've started, you know, 20 years ago. I think you have to have... The most important thing I find, and, and the, the, the writers are, you have to have a voice. You have to really uh, take a view. Don't sit on the fence. You know, you don't have to be controversial. You don't have to be wacky and mad, but you have to have a voice. You have to have a sense of the writer's personality within the writing that's very important, you know, cultivate a voice. But it comes naturally. But, and secondly, specialise. You can't just say, I want to be a journalist. You know, you've got to be a political journalist, a business journalist, a food journalist, uh, whatever it is, specialise. And, you know, this is what I find. The older I get, it sounds a bit like Socrates, but not quite as deep, but the older I get, the less I know I know, if you see what I mean. You know, there's a certain point when you're young, you think you know everything. And the older I get, I think, God, and I collect food books and I've been obsessed with with old books and all the rest of it but even on the subjects I think I know a little bit about I just realised I know so little about it and I think you have to accept that so I'm always learning always always learning and a voice a strong individual voice and it's that thing my dad always said you know hard work you do have to work hard it doesn't nothing you know despite all the accidents and 
of birth I've had, uh, the education by pure accident of birth, great education, great the rest of it, you have to work hard. And that's the idea that people, you know, people, oh, I want to become a chef, for example, or, um, but I just want to be Gordon Ramsay. Well, he's done, like every other chef, 30 hard years in the kitchen of no life. Um, hard work, nothing, I don't think anything comes without hard work. I think it's very important that you work hard and... and uh, I'm quite happy that I didn't have a trust fund or something. I'd probably be dead if I had a trust fund. <laughs> God knows what I've got up to. But no, I think work is, is important. But you, yeah, you have to love your work. But yeah, any advice, I think it's tough out there. Because everyone now, with the internet and with blogs and the rest of it, everyone can have a view. And that's fantastic. What I do find is there's a hell of a lot of good bloggers out there, but they haven't ever had an editor. You know, they've never been like, no, you know, when they're cutting out all the bits that, no, too over the top, blah, 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 blah. And write, you know, write into length. If someone says, "Can I have a thousand five hundred words, please?" Don't send in three thousand words. Send in a thousand five hundred. You know, write to length, and try and stick to your deadline as well. Um, so, what we're going to do now, Tom, is we're going to take the Engaging Works Workplace Happiness uh, Survey, and at the end of this, what it will do is compare you to people like you, if there is anybody I'm like sure you, Tom. Well. Um, <laughs> and what it will do is it will tell you how happy you are at work. Fantastic. And it will compare you to others. And then if there are any areas where you're less happy, it will start to identify those. Fantastic. So um, the first thing we do when we get to the workplace uh, happiness uh, survey screen on Engaging Works is we need to pick a language to take the survey in. I would, I would probably go for English. I would what do you think? definitely go for English. Yeah. So if you want to press the button that says English... And now we go through a series of, um, in total, 26 questions, but 18 yeah. questions. So the first one is, do you feel appropriately rewarded for your work? Absolutely, yes. So I'd go for a 10 there, would I? You're going for a 10. And have you always felt well rewarded for your work? I've felt I've been overcompensated at times um, f- for my work. and Have you ever I- felt like giving money back then? Uh I would prefer to give money back in, in the form of charity rather than giving it back to my employer. <laughs> okay, so press that. So uh, the second question, do you feel recognised when you do something well? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is... I mean, it's all it's going to look very happy, all this, so, isn't it? So what are, you, what are you going for? You're going for a 10? 10, yeah. I, and, I, and how I, do you feel recognised? Do people write nice notes to you saying, we yes. love your column? Uh, well, more the... My editor will say that's a good piece, you know. Mm. And also, with it's, you do have a professional responsibility to do things well. Of course, below the line on the, on the mail, you know, it's, it's, it's the Wild West out there. There's nothing nothing that anyone can say that would offend me anymore. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but that yeah, I do. When I know when it's, you know, if it's... I, I, I try never to be... Obviously, it doesn't have to be bad, but there are some columns you think, mm, you know, that was a bit boring compared to the other ones. But when I do do something, when I think this is good... People tell you. People tell you, and that doesn't, you know, doesn't help egos and all the rest of it. But, but yeah, I feel that, you know, I sometimes say, isn't this a good piece? Um, and, yeah, people do say, and, and there, there is a thing, sometimes you, you send some copy and people don't get back, and I don't mind that either, really. But, yeah, I do feel that when it is done, I think it's a good piece. And you said friends and family phone you on a Thursday yeah. and say a few things about your it's column usually, in country I life. mean, for example, I, mean, it's, it's, I don't actually have a column, but it's, it's more to a piece that... I did a piece about Rare Breeze the other day, and I put my brother-in-law into it. He's like, and he was talking about, you know, leaving the, the pigs too long before the fat was building up. And I said, you know, the, the sausages were fantastic, the bacon was a bit fatty. He's like, what do you mean? It was really good, the bacon. It's like, <laughs> you've just used me for your column. I said, it's true. You're far too much. You left them too long before you slaughtered them. And, you know, they, they overfatted, basically. Um, that, But it's all fairly good-natured. I Very try, good. I try not. I mean, I, you know, in, in terms of reviews and things, I don't... Um, Go to. Do I have enough information to my job? Right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so this is going to be so boring. It's going to be 10 or more. Uh, we'll see. So, yeah, 10 for do I have enough information to because do the, well? Because my information is going out and eating, you know. Yep. Um, do you feel information is openly shared with you at work? I share it very nicely with myself, yeah. So definitely, um, yes, 10. Um. <laughs> and when you're, when you're writing things, where do you go to for your source material? I'm still, I mean, we all use the internet, but I love collecting books because actually I've just about to give up well because I don't need any more but it's about the same size as this as to books so I think oh what did Alan Davison say about that or what did you know Elizabeth David or Emma K Fisher or I, I like you know I suppose it's, it's having done English at university it's, it's, it's the occasional quotation shoved in there but I still go to I trust books inherently more than I trust the internet mm. that's the thing um, okay so next question do you feel trusted to make decisions? Yeah, I, I don't have to ask anyone. I mean, I, I choose my restaurants I go to. I choose, I go to Alex Esquire and say, shall I go, let's go to Beirut or shall I go to Mexico City or shall I go to Lima? Um, and he'll go, yes or no, or should we do a Louisiana, I think it's the last one I was doing. That, yeah. So I will go to my editors and pitch something and half the time they say nope and half the time they say yeah. And in the corporate world, which we talked about earlier, in your early days, pre-writing days, did you feel trusted there? Uh, to write a press release, yeah. Um, not to <laughs> do anything administrative, no. I, I, it, was, it was fairly obvious pretty quickly that those sort of things were given to people who were good at that. Um, I was rubbish at that. Um, I, I'm really not very organised. I do need someone to. I should get someone to. Um, I, have a, I still use a Smithson diary. I don't use the thing on the telephone because I know how to. So, yeah, I quite. I quite like to have someone to organise my life. I haven't got round to getting someone yet. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I do feel people trust you to make decisions. Yes, they, they do. So you're going for another ten. Another ten. You are going to score the highest of anybody <laughs> in the world. Uh, here we go. Do you have the resources you need to do your job well? Yeah, I, I can't walk past a charity shop, a bookshop, anything without. Picking up some random tome on, on uh, you know, Hungarian cooking or whatever it is. So I, my part of my life is spent buying these resources. Or yeah, so I have time. Time. Well, that's my problem. But you know, I, I like to work against a deadline. I like I like it when you know the paper rings and says on a Saturday, right, eight hundred words on X. Can we have it in an hour, please? That, I, I thrive on that. I quite like An organisational support? So somebody who helps book your no, travel I, or diary? I do or... all of that, I think. Yeah, I do everything. Um, not very well, but yeah, I do have it. I mean, I am the resource, I suppose. So, yeah, I have and it. And in an ideal world, would you have somebody who books yes. you travel? And yes, I don't. Like would that make your life I mean, easy? people do all my tax and stuff like that. I can't do that. Although now, putting out of that, now there's our new system, as we all know. Um, I've got a fantastic new app where you just take pictures of your receipts and and send it in, but anyway, um, that sort of money stuff I'm not very good at, so I, someone does do that. Yeah. But yeah, I do have the resources. Great, good. <laughs> what, what, what did William have to say about all this? Uh, uh, I think you're going to score higher than William going at this rate. That's William Sitwell. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that your views are heard at work? Uh, yes, very so much. So when you say to an editor, actually, I don't agree with you, or you say to a sub, do they say, okay, Tom, fair point? We always discuss it. It's, it's, it's the advantage of having a long enough relationship with a newspaper or magazine that, you know, my commissioning editor at the Mail, um, I'm, you know, he is, he will say, you know, where are you going this week? Great. And talk about, you know, he'll do the day-to-day -day stuff, but it's really uh, the subs I, I talk to on a day-to-day -day basis. So, yeah, if I felt I had a problem, I, I, um, I suppose I could throw my toys out of the pram. I try not to. 
I don't know how. And how do you take critical feedback on copy? Oh, totally. I'm to, to, If it's people I know, so if it's my editor, so if it's Alex at Esquire, who's the editor, if it's James at, at, at uh, Event, or gosh, anyone, James or, or Nick, the chief sub, or, or even, even Gordon, my editor, the, the supplement, right up to Ted, the big boss. Obviously, if they say, you know, I work for them, I wouldn't. If I disagree with them, I'd, I'd say that. But um, no, I, I'm very much, and I love, you know, critical. I will send it in and say, look, you know, tell me what, I prefer to do all the fiddles myself, but I like it when they say, now Alex will say, it's quite a little 5,000 word piece. Okay, but I need more of this and more of that. Fine. That's, you know, that's, to, to not listen to your editors is idiotic, I'd say. Um, but this is about whether they listen to you. Um, I think they would, yeah. I think, but that's, that's taken time, you know, and you have to earn the right to do that, I think. Um, but yes, and if I was wrong, they would tell me. Okay. Yeah, so, so what would you say that was? <laughs> Uh, so, do you feel your views are heard? So yeah, all the time, most yeah. of the time, all the time. So you're a, you're going to give yourself a ten. Ten. Here we go. This is going to be record breakers. This is record breaking stuff. <laughs> so, do you feel that your organisation cares for your well-being? So, your organisation is yourself. So, do you feel that you care for your own well-being? Um, I, I, as I get older, I do more exercise and drink less. <laughs> um, if it's about well-being in the, in the new frame, I try to have three days off the booze a week. Otherwise, you just, you know, you could do every day in, in this world. Um, yes, so do I care for my well-being? Probably not hard, you know, not as much as I you should. Do you sleep well? Yep. Do you exercise? Yeah. <laughs> a lot? I try to do three times, but there's this thing called spinning that I actually hate, but I, it's brilliant. You go in there, and it's dark, and they kill you for 45 minutes, and then you go. You know, I can't, I, don't, I wouldn't be able to go to the gym myself. I need it to do Because in a job where you eat all yeah. the time... It is. I did. I did have a sort of not a scare, but went to the doctor and had a blood test, and so my cholesterol was really high, and my everything was really high. So you know, he knows my. He knows how he's been my doctor forever, but um, he just says, "Look, you, you can't continue at this pace of of the eating everything, and you know, you're now middle aged It doesn't just. It's not just exercise. It's diet. It's exercise. It's you know." So. All these things I thought I was bulletproof on, you know, there's far too much. They're all classic food world things, too much uric acid, which is, too, you know, so moving towards go, too much cholesterol. Have you had goat yet? Uh, I've, uh, at the beginnings of it, and, and it was, it was in getting... In the big toe? In or? the big toe, and it was getting, and I, I spoke to Giles, who's had it, I think every single person who works in this world, Matthew Fort has it, and it sounds like some awful sort of Victorian disease, but it is... As my doctor said, it's part and parcel of what you do. It's mainly good food, isn't it? It's it spinach is. and it's um, oily fish and, and it's red wine. prawns and it's red wine and it's offal and all the things that are good for you. So on the one hand, the cholesterol saying, you know, eat more oily fish. I mean, it's, uh, it, it is a conundrum, the whole thing. And, and uh, I just yeah, drink less and exercise more. Okay. And, and, and if it does happen, take a pill. I'm not gonna... So how would you rate yourself for looking after you? Oh, let's go for seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, do you rarely feel depressed or anxious about your work? I rarely feel depressed or anxious. About it. You, you have moments where uh, I never question that. I never have that imposter syndrome, and that which is, I should. My internal life, should, my internal monologue should be more. You know, I think I, I think I'm naturally happy and naturally optimistic. Occasionally, you know, things come along and. Yeah, you can. Things like as you get older, in you know, children, you worry about all that sort of stuff and, and the rest of it. Yeah, you, anxiety is something. Do you worry about where your next commission is going to come from or your next book? Or no, do you worry about should, deadlines? No. Do you worry about 
No. Negative feedback. No, negative feedback. I don't mind everyone saying, you know, you, you use this toffee and you've got your job because you're a mum. I don't mind that. If they say, that's really badly written, that would bother me more. But I don't engage. I can't be asked. When Having grown up over the years, there's nothing that anyone can say that would offend me, my mother, my sister, my father, anyone. There's, there's, there's nothing, you know. It's, it's, and I can't even be asked on Twitter to fight them, just ignore the buggers. Um, so do I feel anxious? Not, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, oh, a little bit more anxiety, worrying about stuff, but that's more about, I'm, I think I'm a hypochondriac, so I stop worrying about my health. I think I've got, I look on the internet and that, that, that's maybe catastrophization of life. Uh, but yeah, I've never really, no. So I, okay. do I feel really, um, so maybe seven again, just to keep that score down. <laughs> uh, do you feel you do something worthwhile? Um, yes, when I do charity stuff, that's the, um, for, and yes, when you find a small restaurant, I find that, that perhaps, listen, lots of people hate, hate the men on Sunday and the, and the mail for, for its views, and I don't, there's, you know, I don't agree with everything any newspaper says, but I'm, I love working there, and I've worked there for many, many years. And, and people say, oh, you work for the Mail. Fine, don't read it. I think, you know, but what I love is, is, is the readership you have. Um, you have a very big readership for, for, for the Mail and, and, and the Mail on, Online and the Mail on Sunday. And to get a restaurant that you love that perhaps certainly doesn't have the budget for PR and doesn't get it to put it into a national newspaper that makes me very happy that that I can shout I'm just a mouthpiece for all the hard work someone's done and to do it across all the millions of male readers that makes me happy and not the sort of aren't I clever look at me way I just feel that sometimes there's some fantastic restaurants that very occasionally I get to before the others do um, which is a rare thing um, that you can shout about and that and when they say oh you know we're full for the next two it's that makes me better whether that's a purely ego driven thing or not I don't know but but yes I do feel that that's I have a ridiculously happy job, um, but it is nice to, to find. So I say, yeah, definitely. I, don't, I wouldn't go. In for, I'm, I'm not a heart surgeon. I'm not a nurse. I'm, you know, what I mean? I'm not one of the serious people who are doing really proper things. So I, maybe food writer, say six. Uh, I'd say. Do you feel proud of yeah. the work that you do? I feel proud of the organisation. Yeah, I do. I like. I very much like the newspaper I work for. I love the magazines I work for. Um, Fortnums. For, oh, yeah, I love great for, business. Great business, and I do. I do feel proud. You know, yeah. I I, I couldn't work for somebody I fundamentally disagreed with. Um, so maybe seven. Has a, yeah, I won't go too deep in that. <laughs> How likely is you recommend to your friends and family to work? Ten. Straight. Okay. <laughs> There's no question of the. Um, do you feel that you are treated with respect? Afraid, yeah. I mean, obviously below the line of Twitter, not so much. But uh, actually, Twitter Twitter's different. Twitter. You know, people say, but I worry about my children in this this age of social stuff. And um, I think with Twitter, people say, oh, it's horrible and brilliant. We'll just turn it off. But maybe it's not that easy to do that if you're younger. Um, again, yes, I've never been treated by anyone that I work with with anything other than respect. Um, yeah, it, just, it sounds all... No, it's, well, it's sick, good. Sickeningly happy, but... but no, no, well, it's good. It's, I mean, it's important, and... Uh, I mean, obviously now, after all these years, you're a respected writer, so well, the relationship you've built up with editors across it newspapers is that, yeah. and magazines and all of those things. But so. it is the work, it is the getting in on time, getting it oven ready, having it in oven ready, and, and, and you know, so you, you have to do your side of the deal, you know, aside from the deadlines of my regular ones. <laughs> you know, you have to 
yeah, you have to do it, do your job well. Otherwise, I said no. Um, otherwise, what's the point? Be professional. Do you enjoy? Do yeah. you enjoy your job? Yeah, that's a ten straight out. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> love my job. Um, Suits your lifestyle. Do you feel <laughs> that you have a good relationship with your line manager? What is a um, line manager? A line manager is the person that manages you. So in your case. Uh, it would really be the, the editors who oh, manage yeah. you. Straight 10. I mean, to the point where... And have you had any difficult ones uh, over the years? I once had an editor, came in as a commissioning editor when I was at the Mail years ago, and she was American, and she didn't... I don't think it's a very different journalism. When I do stuff in America, it's very different. You know, you, you write something like... You're a bit floral with your description of writing that, and the sun was shining, blah 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 and they'll come back and say, so you were driving down on, what day was it? I don't know. Can we have your notes? I don't have any notes. You know, where's your recording? I have a recording. Um, but we worked out, if you were driving on Monday the 5th of March, down, it wasn't actually sunny in that bit. You were, it's that sort of thing, you know, that you know, Americans pay quite a lot more. But um, there was one lady who was there for about an hour, I think, who did to all of us, all the columnists, this is about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and said, I want you to start with the piece. This is when I was doing a food column rather than a restaurant. We start the piece by going and do this. I said, hang on, you're telling me how to write my column? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work like this, you know. At that point, and I found out that she had done it to everyone else, so we all just got hissy and... Rebelled. She, she rebelled and she, and she went somewhere else. But no, so I do have, with, with my commissioning editor, with my editors, very, very, I can go direct to them with, yeah, I have an exceptionally good relationship, to be honest. And having said that, you know, I'll probably get a call later on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, have a, I think, uh, let's go okay. nine, so it's not at the top, but definitely. Um, uh, do you feel you're being developed? In terms of a constant... Your de development? Yes, I feel that I'm constantly developing. I feel that, that my job, it goes off in different directions and, 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 and different ways, and I feel I'm constantly learning... Um, and, you know, you, you can fall into the trap of writing too many alliterations or blah, 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 blah. And, you know, yes, constantly learning. Whether it's developing, I don't know, but definitely constantly learning. Uh, yeah. So over the last few years, how would you say you've developed most as a writer? I would say I've learnt, unless you're writing in the mock heroic or something like that, you learn to simple is better. You know, you, you learn not to be, not to overuse simile, not to overwrite, um, not quite in the old world sense of, you know, use a short word when you can. And But yeah, you simplify, you purify, you hope you do anyway. Um, become less, perhaps, Baroque in your writing, perhaps less showy-offy in parts, although no, I think most writers can't really resist occasionally sort of, you know, going to flights of fancy. And what, uh, have, what have you learnt about food? I've, what what I've really learned about food is, is that when I started food, food was something I, I liked eating and it was nice. And what you realise is, is food is everything. Food is health, it's wealth, it's happiness. It's a prism through which you see history, through economics. It is, it is about behaviour. It, it, is, it is the one universal experience we all have apart from death. Um, everyone has to eat. You might not like food. And so how food changes behaviour, how it is, it is so fundamental. It's not just lifestyle like flower arranging. Food is... It is everything, um, and you can get as deep into it, or you can be as shallow as you want, but it is, and I think, yeah, it is incredibly important, and you start looking to diet, and, and how diet affects behaviour, and, and the, you know, all this research at the moment with the stomach, with all these nerve endings, and being an organ, 
as complex as, as the brain and I think when you begin there's like well the good book got that came out a couple of years ago about that just interesting but yeah exactly fantastic book and you realise now that you know and of course the government still insists on uh, the government still insists on, it, 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 what drives me mad is how many experts are thrown at hospital food and the idea that you're coming out of a heart operation and you're having this awful food and school food and the best you've probably been involved the best have been thrown at school food and still there's this issue of you know, this, the, the crap that you're being served in schools. I mean, uh, even at my kids' school, I think their food's okay. They're always moaning about it, almost starving when they come out at 3.30. Um, I, I do wish government would do more. I mean, every time there's a new bloody minister for food, or not for Minister Gove at the moment, who I like personally very much, but um, you go in, and we'd love to hear your views, and you go with a whole lot of food writers, and you hey, and a whole lot of PPSs writing down, yeah, yeah, and then nothing. And then another minister changes, and another minister changes, another. Working, I do some stuff with great um, and fantastic people like Conrad Bird and, and, and amazing. But you do find that the, the public sector is uh, it, some of the great brains on earth and power beyond belief. But my God, things go slowly there. You know, it's, I'm used to like meeting, do it, done, bang, on we go. I come back two months later sometimes, you know, we had to get some food in for great. We were doing a festival in Istanbul and we did one in Shanghai and I was doing Andrew Hartner and Tom Kitchen and, you know, let's talk about great British food, you know, British producers and then we couldn't get out of the British produce. It's, it's that sort of stuff that's nothing to do with the... It's just the red tape and the constant mm. going around and the people I work with were fantastic but I think I'm made for the private set so I think I get too frustrated. You know this better than anyone. It's... it's there's so many different levels and has to be ticked off. I just like things to be done, you know, bang, quickly. quickly and nothing ever. So, yes, I definitely... Do you feel you've been developed? Definitely. So you're nine. a nine? Yeah. Okay. Do you feel happy at work? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, totally and utterly happy. So that's the last of the one to ten questions, and you're ten <laughs> for happy at work. Yeah. Now we ask you three things that you would change to improve your happiness at work. Um... So when William Sitwell did this, he put money, money, money. <laughs> so Tom Parker, Bowles, what are your three things? Well, I mean, obviously, obviously I love... Oh, you yeah. have to type these in, so this is um, testing your journalistic or, skills. Organisation, I'd say. Um, yeah, organisation. Um, I mean, money, yes, money is important. I mean, obviously, yes, if they pay me. I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm particularly well compensated for what I do. Um, it would sound greedy to save more money. Um, I, yeah, I would. I would love to have you know suddenly get a company that's worth a billion pounds. And, and but even if that happened, I would still have to work. I and what would you do with a billion pounds? Uh, I would. Oh gosh, <laughs> obviously give huge amounts of charity. Um, I like the idea of you know the, or, or foundations where you know where the money's going and doing it. I'd also probably get a private jet, <laughs> a house in in, in Sicily or, or, or south of France, uh, probably a place in New York. I think you need two billion for that. Two billion, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think I need two billion. Uh, what, place, uh, what else would improve my work organisation? This is awful. You see, it's too. I'm too. I'm looking at it objectively. Organisation. Okay, money. Fine. More money. But uh, that sounds churlish, but it's true. Well, what about your um, no, working environment? My working environment. Actually, my my office, but is my house now, basically. So, I love my working environment. I sit looking out the window. Um, in the sitting room. <laughs> it's not a very long commute to work, it must be said. Do you ever struggle to get a table in a restaurant? Um, no, because either they're the ones like the, the, the Wolsey and Ivy group where you know somebody and they always keep tables back, or 
if it's a tiny place and they're full, I've never dreamed. Number one, they wouldn't say, oh, we're going to move someone who's booked. But they're the restaurants that are full. When they're full, they're full. I feel really self-conscious sort of saying, oh, yeah. you know, I, I prefer to do it via email. And, and I don't expect anyone to get me a table. Oh, so I'll try to show off to someone in my, you know, can you get a, you know, I think I could probably get a table at the Woolsey or the Colbert or the Ivy or Caprice. That's purely because I go there a lot to those yeah. places. So it's yeah. a relationship. I know. Um, what else? That's it. Um, I love William, money, money, money. <laughs> uh, I, can't, I really can't think my workplace happiness... I, I do live in this strange world where I do, yeah, I am genuinely happy at the job I do. I worry sometimes it might all fall apart. You know, I might suddenly lose it all. And then how would I pay for the children? How would I, you know, all that? Um, something about security. Yeah, I mean, it's still. Uh, it's something you I said suppose you know long term security. Yeah, I mean, but again, a I've been. Permanent plan. Um, okay, and retirement is what I suppose because I can never retire. Um, Travel. Long-term plan. Well, I prefer to go first class rather than business, but that's that's again. <laughs> I can't put that. As a, that really is. A it's first another. It's another uh, twist on money, isn't it? It is. I, I would say that's, that's how you would invest your money. That was ridiculous. I do find that the one luxury, if I'm paying myself, that I do do, and I'm l- lucky enough to perhaps do it, is business on a plane. That is, I don't mind in Europe. Obviously, I would never go business in, in Europe. But the moment I, I, Istanbul and beyond is. Definitely, definitely, definitely. That's uh, government policy. Four and a half hours and beyond business. Is yeah, that's and, and I put and it on my contracts as well. It, it yeah. has it's just it has to be basic BA business because otherwise they try and muck you around with the American carriers or something. Long term, long security. That was a joke, by the way. By More the first time. Class. Uh, yeah, I have time. You see, I, I, it's, it's because you never feel deadlines are too tight and you're no. you're under pressure. No. Um, what was those long-term security? Or maybe uh, bank carrier. No, or maybe all oh, that will come under organisation. I like I I like eating by myself. I like travelling by myself. I like being by myself. Um, so all that side of stuff. More time to think. More solitude. More time to read. Uh, more time to I reflect. Read before I go to bed, I I dawdle so much. I spend most of the day reflecting, um, not working but reflecting. Um, what about long-term security? And I suppose. Yeah, I like the idea of well, it's long-term security. What is actually long-term security? Uh, you see, I'd save more money, but that's just sort of best-selling being, book. Yes, that's it. Best-selling book. There we go. Beating <laughs> Harry Potter. Yes, that's it. Best-selling book or 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 TV show. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay, so uh, if I press that one, yeah, it's gone underneath. So if you scroll down. Sorry, there, I should say. The next, there we go. Gotcha. Yeah, next. So, this is the really quick week now. So, it just filters. So, male, uh, your gender, obviously. Next. Uh, age. I am. Oh, I'm just on the cusp of that one there, there for 44. Uh, management, you are management, you I'm manage yourself. I manage myself. Which job reflects what you do? So here, I think creative design is the one that's most like you. And then what type of industry do you work in? There's one that's media. Uh, if we find... Media. And then the country you live in. 
I think we know, mm-hmm. United Kingdom, which is always down at the bottom, next to the USA. Yeah. And we do this survey all over the world, so we've oh, got really? respondents okay. from 130 countries, including really? journalists wow. and over 10,000 individuals, as well as 106 companies that have used it. Let me scroll down. That's it. You have finished the survey. Fantastic. And we'll now, yeah. 10 seconds, yeah. we get your results. Oh, wow. And what we find out is how happy you are compared to the global average and people who work in your sector, wow. so uh, media, journalism, uh, and uh, who are creatives, writers. So is William genuinely happy? He's always moaning about something, William. No, he's, no, William came out well. He was happy. In fact, I could, if I remembered it, tell you the scores. We are can now count, right? We're doing the numbers. So, Tom Parker Bowles, I'm delighted to tell you that out of a rating of 1,000, you are 919. <laughs> you are off the chart. Okay. The global average is uh, 653, and your industry, so people who are in uh, media, journalism, yeah. they're uh, 656. So your counterparts, your colleagues, are slightly above the average, but you are absolutely <laughs> off the Richter happy. Which is fantastic. And then if you scroll down, yeah. you can scroll down. There we go. You get your scores for all the various sections. You were uh, 100% for uh, reward and recognition. You were 100% for the information you have. You feel 100% empowered. Your well-being slightly lower, 87%, but still green, still very high. Uh, feeling proud of what you do, 77 still high, still in the top, and job satisfaction, 90 So in every area, well. you score in the upper quartile of the uh, over more than 10,000 people that have done this survey. And then there are a number of matrices, and what they do is they plot your yeah. scores against your industry and the world. So the first one is on your well-being. For well-being, as you can see, you're in the upper quartile and you're above both industry and the global scores. This is your stickiness index. The stickiness right. index is whether you're likely to leave your job oh, okay, fantastic. or stay in your job. And on this, again, you're fantastically sticky. So I don't think there's any chance that in the near future you're going to give up writing and oh, right. food. And, yeah, exactly. That's not really my decision. But... Uh, or you wouldn't want to. The, the next slide is, it tells you whether you're an apostle for what you do okay. or whether you're uh, an anarchist. Oh, I would have been an anarchist, damn it. Um, or so, a martyr. <laughs> or a martyr. But the thing is that you're a real apostle for what you do. You love what you do. Yeah, OK. Um, and that came out, obviously, in the answers to the questions. And you'll see that, again, you're well above the industry and the sector. Um, the next is uh, around career development. And again, for all the reasons we uh, talked about, you saw yourself as being particularly well uh, developed for your career. Inclusiveness, you feel included. So we talked about your editors and all that went on. Again, you score much higher. And empowerment, you feel empowered. You feel as though you've got the freedom to do what you want to do. And again, you're much higher than your industry and you're much higher than people globally who've taken the survey. And then on sense of purpose, this is where you were saying that uh, you enjoy what you do and you can make a difference to restaurants, etc. Um, but you're not a, a, a brain surgeon or you're not a nurse. Yeah, yeah. And on this, what you'll see is you score slightly lower than your counterparts who feel that they are doing something slightly more worthwhile okay. uh, than, than you scored, but you're not far out of line. So the assessment of all of that, Tom, is that you are extraordinarily happy in your work. <laughs> I you're doing the right yet. job. Fantastic. And it's clear to see from the way you've answered the questions that you really do love what you do. So I've got two last questions yes. for you, if that's okay. 
The first one is, what song makes you feel happiest? Gosh. Um... Sound a bit weird if I said Pink Floyd, but, but probably, uh, probably something like... Let's go. Let's go something like yeah, Sunday morning by the Velvet Underground. Some of the songs aren't the happiest. No, no, gosh, no, they get really, <laughs> no, really no, dark. No, no, yeah, no, yeah. Weird thing. Um, and then my very last question for you, Tom, is if you were to nominate one person to take the Workplace Happiness Survey, who would you nominate and why? I would call it to nominate my cousin, my best friend, Ben Elliott, who is CEO of Quintessentially, which is a concierge group. It's interesting because he, like you, does government stuff. Now, he works very much in the corporate world. He does moan and groan about the corporate world and the government world, but yet loves both of them. So I think you get a far more interesting result from him because he is very. He would know what a line manager is. He would know about working in, uh, you know, government, you know, being a, I think he's the waste star at the moment or something. But, but uh, he knows how to work his way around those Things. I'm not good at those things. I immediately get cross and uh, think. So yeah, Ben Elliott. Um, if you, happily, he might if you wanted to. He loves that. He loves talking about himself like I do. So very good. <laughs> so um, on that note, Tom Parker Bowles, thank you very thank much. You for your so time. Much. Thank, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for delicious breakfast. Ever, as well. <laughs> ever, thank you ever so much for um, uh, giving you your your views. Well, thank Fantastic. you. What what a joy that was. Is there any, all, all... Thank you for listening. And again, if you want to take control of your workplace happiness go to engaging.works and take the free happiness survey. See you next time.